Hello, I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm here to encourage you to subscribe to The Spectator's American edition. If you visit spectator.us forward slash subscribe, you can get our print and digital edition for just $7.99 a month. This means you get unlimited access to our amazing website and we'll send you a beautiful 80-page monthly magazine. You'll also have access to our mobile app. Subscribe now at spectator.us forward slash subscribe. You won't regret it. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics? The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Scott Johnson, who is a lawyer and contributor to the Powerline blog. And we're going to be asking, is Derek Chauvin guilty? Now, Scott, there's no legal answer to that question yet, because... The Derek Chauvin trial has not ended. But for listeners who haven't been following this, Derek Chauvin is the police officer who kneeled on George Floyd last year. And I suppose it really begins with that video. This this story really begins, obviously, it begins with, with the death of George Floyd. But it blew up when that viral video of George Floyd dying on the floor underneath Derek Chauvin's knee went viral. It It exploded all over the internet and it triggered this enormous wave of race riots really last year and we are coming up to the end point of the trial you think we'll probably have a decision next week as to whether he's guilty or not and America is sort of on tenterhooks about this decision because everything went so mad last year around this story how bad is it in Minneapolis how tense are things tell us a little bit about that well the one thing you didn't mention Freddie is that history is repeating itself as far as in connection with the death of Dante Wright this past Sunday. And we've been in the throes of a second set of riots over the past week and enormous controversy about law enforcement seeking to protect the police headquarters in Brooklyn Center where that death occurred and going through all this twice as though we didn't learn anything the last time around. And so things are tense to this extent the Minnesota law enforcement authorities, under, under the uh, uh, direction of the governor, Tim Teardown This Walls, as I call him, he has established a joint law enforcement operation to protect the Twin Cities, which is essentially the courthouse and government infrastructure in the wake of the anticipated verdict. And will there be rioting in the event of a guilty verdict? I think the answer is probably yes, but in any event, that is called Operation Safety Net, and Operation Safety Net was kicked into the third of four gears this week to deal with the events in Brooklyn Center. So when you ask me how things are in Minnesota, I would say they are bad and reflective of this trial and the events since this past Sunday. And you can see this, the visible manifestation of the mob atmosphere here is evident in the in the courthouse, which is you know protected by brick and barbed wire, 
with National Guard officers protecting that building where this trial is occurring. It's a 24-story courthouse in the heart of downtown Minneapolis, and it's closed but for this Chauvin trial. So I would say that's how bad things are. How can jurors not be aware of the effect of their verdict in this case? And that's been one of my concerns about the fair trial issue uh, that underlies the circumstances here. But I'm sorry, that's a long answer to a short No, no, it's it's, it's a complicated story. I mean, yesterday, Derek Chauvin pleaded the fifth. He didn't talk, which presumably is because of this mob atmosphere around the trial. And it's become, you know, justice is not supposed to be political. Justice is not supposed to be about mob justice. But this story has become intensely political. And whatever one thinks of the story, it's not a healthy thing for a trial to have this much political pressure on it. My take on... Chauvin's assertion of the Fifth Amendment privilege yesterday morning is that he cannot help himself by testifying. I think the cross-examination would be excruciating. And there are, I think Chauvin is likely to be convicted to jump to of one or more of the three charges that he's facing. Right. Let's talk about those charges quickly. So there's second degree, third degree, and manslaughter. Can you as a lawyer, can you explain that a bit? That for us? Well, they're working out the wrinkles with the judge uh, this morning as we speak. The second degree murder charge, I think, is a stretch and the most difficult one, although the, the jury might get there. But they'll start with the, the second degree manslaughter, which is culpable negligence and related facts. And the third degree murder is the so-called depraved mind murder charge which was an issue in the case of Officer Muhammad Noor, who was convicted a couple of years ago of killing Justine Damon in the safest neighborhood of Minneapolis after she had called the police for, for help to a third party. And oddly enough, the legal viability of that third degree murder charge is at issue in the Minnesota Supreme Court in the Newer case, and we and whether or not that charge can survive as a matter of law, put the facts to one side, but whether it's applicable to a case involving one officer and one victim is at issue in the Newer case. And then we won't have an answer to that until sometime, you know, this summer. So the third degree murder charge will be submitted to the jury that's been litigated up and down in in, this, in the Chauvin case. It's going to be submitted to the jury, but we won't know whether it's it, it will stand even if he's convicted until the Minnesota Supreme Court decides the newer case later this year. And then the second degree murder charge is the most complicated one. It's a felony murder charge in which the state argues that this detention became a third degree assault at some point in the nine and a half minutes that you've been referring to and resulting in George Floyd's death. And if the jury, were, the, the judge will instruct them on the, on the assault charge and on the full secondary murder charge. And if they find that it became an assault and, and resulting in Floyd's death, he'll be convicted of that as well. But so it's, that it's charge an, an, was an, added. An example of a second degree murder would be, uh, we get into a fight in a bar and even though I didn't come to the bar intending to kill you, during our fight, I end up killing you. That's a second degree. I, I, I think that's a good example. That's, a, that's good. Well, I'm pleased I've, I've picked that one. 
each side has filed proposed jury instructions. I, you know, I, this is beyond the interest of anyone who, who's not following it at anything less than an obsessive level. But um, I, I just reread the proposed jury instructions this morning, anticipating talking with you. And it, it's a complicated charge in this case. But the, the evidence though, you know, really to get to the heart of it, you, you talked about viewers or listeners who, who may not be familiar with the facts of the case. And I have to say the case went in differently than I anticipated. The state spent two plus weeks putting in really a mountain of evidence. There was no, no element of the case that wasn't subject to overkill, but cumulatively, and I would say a lot of the evidence was cumulative and objectionable on that ground, but starting with the bystanders, the, the young lady who took the viral video was only one of several bystanders who took videos. And all those videos have come into evidence in addition to the officer's body cam video and city of Minneapolis surveillance video. And we've seen the, the events from every conceivable angle. And just in the very first part of the case involving these bystanders who were called to testify, it's not just the one young lady who took the viral video, but the bystanders all seemed to understand that George Floyd was dying in the course of those nine and a half minutes while the officers stayed on, on him. And at one point, one of the officers looks, looks for a pulse and says he can't find it. I think that's a difficult evidence to overcome combined with the expert medical testimony of which there's been a lot about the cause of death being Chauvin's and the officers holding him in, the, in that position. And there's also been this new bit of evidence that's come up during the trial, which is the conversation that Chauvin had with another officer afterwards, in which one of the officers says, he said, I'm not comfortable with what you just did or something. And, and Chauvin defended what he'd what he'd done. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, I'm not, I'm not remembering that specifically. The one exchange that I do remember, because we, we haven't heard Officer Chauvin speak. We, we didn't hear him speak as a witness. We heard bits of what he had to say on these videos, on several of the videos, maybe two or three of them. At one point, I think it's one of the bystanders who says, what, what were you doing? And he says, you know, he was a big guy. I had to control him yeah. or something to that effect. And he seemed high. Right. Over the course of the nine and a half minutes, after the first four or five minutes, the dying process seems to get underway and it doesn't seem to affect their conduct. So I think that that's really a difficult part of the case for the defense. Is it, uh, I mean, we talked about the pressure on the jury. The, the, I think the mayor of Minneapolis has, has said, you know, the whole city is waiting for this decision. When he says something like that, he's not saying <laughs> it could go either way. He's saying if it's not guilty, then this whole city is going to burn, right? And it may even burn if he's found guilty. I came into this, you know, watching this trial with concerns about fair trial issues that you're alluding to. It's much worse than what you just said. Starting, you know, within a day or two of the death of George Floyd and the emergence of that viral video, the governor, the attorney general, and the mayor all declared Chauvin guilty of murder over and over again on broadcasts and press conferences publicized throughout the state. So the publicity regarding guilt was just overwhelming within days of this. And uh, the charges were filed four days after the events that the first charges and then the second degree murder charge was added on June 3rd, if I remember correctly. But one of the 
most important motions filed in the case was the defense motion to change venue out of Hennepin County. The city of Minneapolis is the biggest part of Hennepin County where this occurred and where the files are charged and where the case is being tried. So the defense attorney trying to deal with this publicity issue that you're referring to sought to have the trial removed elsewhere in Minnesota. And Judge Cahill denied that motion on the assertion that there was no escape from the problem of pretrial publicity. It was ubiquitous in the country, certainly in Minnesota, if not everywhere in the, in, in the country and the world. But I don't necessarily think that's true, although there, there wasn't sufficient evidence in the motion to show that there might be a little bit less of a problem in, say, Thief River Falls or somewhere in rural Minnesota than there is in Minneapolis. One of the, the big contention points is the verdict on what, what actually killed George Floyd. And the uh, prosecutions insisted it's starvation of oxygen due to the hold that that Chauvin was putting him under. And then the defense is saying he was on fentanyl and it could have been triggered by he that he ingested far too much fentanyl. Now, me as a complete ignoramus looking at this, it seems to me it's possible it could be a combination of both, right? <laughs> in that uh, he was obviously in a dangerous condition because of the amount of drugs he'd taken. And then the fact that Floyd put him in this hold sort of helped kill him. That's the way I understood this case coming into it. But I have to say, you know, I was referring to trying to take the evidence as it came in. And my understanding of the case is really different now than it was when it began. And I I thought the drug overdose was a big deal. But as the evidence came in, I think, let me say, in the prosecution case, you know, they called several prominent medical experts to opine that the cause of death was the one that you understand regarding Officer Chauvin's knee on the neck and asphyxiation and what they refer to as hypoxia, lack of oxygen, and so on. Giving uh, the brush to the, the drug overdose, there's been a lot of evidence of his drug use, past drug use, and current drug use at the time of the incident. But even in the defense case, it was really not a huge factor. They called one medical expert this week, Dr. David Fowler, a forensic pathologist who, you know, there, there are five categories of deaths that medical examiners categorize on death certificates. And according to Dr. Fowler, this should have been categorized as the death in this case should have been categorized as undetermined with several contributing factors, including the drugs, including carbon monoxide poisoning, including his heart disease and that the, the immediate cause of death in this case was a sudden cardiac arrest related to his heart disease. And yeah. I can see, see <laughs> while I'm saying this. You know, he had also just had COVID. That's another factor that people are, are mentioning. So he was post-COVID. I don't think there's much evidence that it had, it had anything to do with his death. But Explain the carbon monoxide poisoning. What, what, what might that have been? The medical expert, the defense medical expert who who I was referring to, Dr. David Fowler, noted that in the video, Floyd had been laid out immediately, you know, on the ground, uh, on the pavement next to the squad that the officers uh, were trying to put him in to make the arrest. And the he pointed out the proximity of the exhaust to where Floyd's head was. And he talked about some missing carbon monoxide readings on autopsy. 
And this was the big argument yesterday because that the prosecution then wanted to introduce, they had dug up evidence of carbon monoxide readings that they wanted to introduce in rebuttal yesterday. And uh, Judge Cahill excluded that as untimely. So that's what that was all about. I, I just have to say, taking it all in, taking all the medical testimony in, uh, including doc, the defense expert, Dr. Fowler, I think the prosecution has the better of this. And, and I, I would guess that the jury will find that the cause of death uh, was related to the officer's conduct. So then the, the crux point of the trial is the intent of Chauvin and whether he was in his, within his rights to be using the knee as a holding position. And, and Well, that, that raises another point, and that's an excellent question, too, is about the authorized use of force. And that will be submitted to the jury. There was an enormous amount of evidence on that issue as well. Uh, starting <laughs> one, another set, in addition to the bystanders, there was a whole set of Minneapolis Police Department of witnesses, starting with the chief and going down to those who train on use of force. So I would say, you know, it was slightly ambiguous to say the least, but my take on that is that the, the restraint was probably authorized but at some point, you know, when the guy's not resisting anymore, when he's in the, when he appears to be in the process of dying, that uh, something should have happened. Yeah. And I mean, he did say famously, I can't breathe. And that didn't seem to make Chauvin stop using force. I can't breathe was Chauvin's complaint from the first moment they tried to put him in the squad car. So it was Floyd's. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. When, when, when they tried to put George Floyd in the squad car, he was saying he couldn't breathe. He's claustrophobic when there was no restraint on him. But at some point, I mean, what was a fabrication became true. And you wonder, I mean, they must have felt his lack of resistance uh, several minutes into the into the detention. And, and I think that really is the gravamen of the case against him right now. And let's talk about the wider political implications of this, because I think it's very depressing how these videos now are trigger points. We had this in the Dwayne White case of, you know, you watch these videos now, and 20 years ago, it would be quite a shocking thing to watch a video of someone being killed. And now, thanks to social media, on a regular basis, a normal person can go onto Twitter and watch a video of, of someone dying at police hands. And these are very emotive videos, and they cause huge mass emotional reactions and particularly when you throw racial politics into it it's like throwing a petrol on on, a, on an already difficult situation in america do you think a lot of the problems start with the fact that we can now circulate these videos so quickly and we can create a terrible sense of injustice when sometimes the case is more complicated sometimes it isn't but it's 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 very dangerous is what i'm saying you know I'm just thinking while you're asking that question, it's a hard one because it is a recent development. But in the Dante Wright case, the video in issue is the officer's body cam video. And it seems to mitigate a more harsh charge than the second degree manslaughter charge that was filed against her this week. And I, th I think the video is going to be crucial for her defense whether it's keeping it to a second degree manslaughter or getting her acquitted that she didn't intend to shoot the guy and that she made the split second decision, six seconds or something like that, while she had the revolver in her hand thinking it was her taser. So there are police law enforcement problems. It's good to be able to uh, have some idea what actually happened. The, I, I wish the press 
I just, I cannot convey to you the stupidity and cowardice of the Minneapolis Star Tribune, which dominates the news in the Twin Cities and Minnesota, the way the New York Times does uh, and, and the Washington Post do across the country. It would be helpful if there were some intelligent media leadership applied to evidence in these cases. And specifically right now, I mean, this right thing is in process that you're referring to. And yeah. the Star Tribune has an editorial today that is, you know, one, one part stupidity, one part cowardice, and one part question begging, referring to the, you know, to the, to the logical error. The issue as they pose it is First Amendment rights. When these law enforcement folks are being hung out to protect the Brooklyn Center Police Department. Yes. As a journalist, too, I think I often think we're to blame for everything because it is the it's the attention economy, isn't it? And and we are not going to not do particularly online a video that explosive is not going to be ignored, whereas really it should be used as evidence in court and weighed up properly. But that's never going to happen in the in the modern world. This Dante Wright case is, is such a good example, though, Freddie. I, it was released by the, the Brooklyn Center police chief thinking he would defuse the situation. And it's really the mob atmosphere and the lack of political and media leadership talking back to these clowns like Ben Crump et al., who are leading the mob in... Uh, who's Ben Crump? Who's that, sorry? Ben Crump is the attorney who represented... Uh, you know, he he secured a $27 million settlement in the Chauvin case oh, on yeah, behalf yeah. of the Floyd family, and he's now been signed up to represent the right case in, in that one. So he's having, uh, you know, a very worthwhile visit to the Twin Cities, and he's, you know, leading the crowd in front of the Hennepin, Hennepin County Government Center where the Chauvin trial is occurring. Well, with the, with, with the right case, I mean, the story went around the world that he was killed because he had air freshener dangling from his... And that was merely an, an allegation that I think his mother may have made. No, right. Exactly. And so that became the story. His mother said he was killed because he had his air freshener hanging, because that's obviously a great headline. That became what everyone wanted to talk about, even though there was no evidence that that's what happened. Yeah, the problem was that he, uh, the officer found that there was an outstanding arrest warrant on him that they were trying to execute after they stopped him for the expired tabs. And the arrest warrant included a weapons charge and flight from an officer. And here he was, you know, a a after they were, they, when they were trying to take him into custody, he jumps in his car and runs off. Yeah. And of course, you know, it, the whole set of circumstances is triggered by his resistance to the arrest. Well, Scott, lastly, uh, I mean, next week will be the verdict and people are very worried about what happens. How worried are you as someone that knows Minneapolis well? I'm worried. I'm worried that there will be riots regardless. I think we're in a revolution for the hell of it phase for reasons, you know, for the lack of political leadership, which we haven't even talked about. But I mean, Minneapolis, this is, uh, you know, we, we're referring to the mayor, but this is the home of Ilhan Omar et al. Uh, our, our governor is, is a pathetic clown and, uh, you know, appeasing the whole woke mob it's difficult to be optimistic, although they have put in place this joint law enforcement task force, which is intended to provide protection regardless of what happens. Well, actually, I said lastly, but let's talk about that quickly. Let's talk about the political leadership, because, I mean, Biden has said that violence and looting are never justified. Kamala Harris has not been quite so responsible, I'd say, in her rhetoric and is very much sort of trying to signal, certainly on Twitter, that she wants justice in the mob sense, I would say. Is, is that a fair assessment? Well, she was 
a leader of the folks raising funds to get out those who had been arrested in the riots in the in the Twin Cities last summer. Yeah, you're talking about the fact she she posted a link to a, a bail fund. Yeah. So I mean, that's really the that's really the atmosphere, and 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 it's unbelievable in this right case. The mayor of Brooklyn Center is uh, is criticizing law enforcement. He doesn't have direct control over this joint law enforcement task force, except insofar he seized control of the Brooklyn Center Police Department in the past week without much cooperation from him. It would be helpful to have the governor and other political leaders speaking out. It would be helpful to have the media and other thought leaders speaking out. But the silence is deafening. Or, or perhaps, um, you know, of some leaders just not speaking. I mean, that leaders don't have to have a, an opinion on a criminal case, and yet often they feel the need to to weigh in to, to satisfy public opinion. I would be satisfied if they would speak out on behalf of regular order. There's no excuse for the violence that's occurring. It's just done, it, it did huge damage to, it's unbelievable unless you've been here at the extent of the damage. And, uh, and it's happening again in Brooklyn Center this week. So the least they can do is to speak up and tell these folks to cut it out. You know, our law enforcement includes Minnesota National Guard. These are part-time uh, soldiers giving up their normal lives to go protect the city of uh, Brooklyn Center. And the support is not visible or audible. And that's what I think is lacking now. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, perhaps um, after the verdict next week, we'll come on, hopefully, with the relatively stable situation in Minneapolis.